Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. I had a great week this past week. Anybody have a good week this past week? Man, it was a lot of fun. Logan, did you have a good time this week? Logan, where did you go this week? We went to Lutheridge. You went to Lutheridge. We had a couple of folks who went to Lutheridge. Where is Brayden? Is Brayden back there somewhere? Went to Lutheridge. Had a lot of fun. I got to go with the kids up to, was anybody else went to Lutheridge? I think it was just us in here right now. We went to, took a bunch of kids up and were a part of a camp program called Kairos. It's an amazing sort of teaching and learning, experiencing God for our middle school kids. And we had a great time up there. It was fantastic. It's always tough to come back down the mountain. It's always kind of tough to come back uh, and be a part of things after you've been a part of these kind of experiences. We got some cool video and some cool shots that I'm going to show you up there. But one of the coolest things to see at this was the amazing amount of transformation in the lives of these kids. A lot of kids would come in, you know, just sort of, I don't know if I really want to be here. I don't know if this is my thing or not. And then you see by the end of the week such movement in their lives and a, and a confidence in faith. And camp ministry is something that's always been a big deal to me. It's always been an important part of my life. And so I'm always lifting it up with our other friends and families in the church so you know that that's a place where Jesus just does amazing, amazing things. So interestingly enough, um, my, uh, my girls went to camp, and this was their first time actually going to camp, and their first time ever going to, like, go away camp. Like, they'd been some, you know, day camp things before, but it's the longest period of time the two of them have ever not been together, right? This is a big deal. You're talking about, like, almost a decade and never really been separated from each other for any kind of period of time, especially when they weren't with some sort of family or something like that. And it was just amazing to see how well they did. And that staff did such a great job to see these girls that were, like, afraid to go. And then all the way home in the car, what are they doing? Crying. I can't. Well, I want to go back. Last night we had, to write a, we had to write a letter to the counselor and put it in the mailbox just so we felt good. And it was questions like, hey, I made it safely home. Are you safe in your next cabin next week? It was the cutest thing in the world. But to see that kind of transformation was awesome. To see kids open up, to see perspectives shift was just such an amazing thing. You know, so many kids come into this faith life and they kind of are a part of it because that's what their parents say, right? It's sort of like, we're going to bring you to church and we want you to sort of think about this stuff. But when they get a chance to go to camp, they're kind of outside the house and they get to think about things really deeply and to have some of their difficult questions. These are some of the questions that they were asking. You know, what do you, uh, hold on, can you go back to that one? What do you do if you don't ever think you can forgive someone? I mean, like deep. How can I strengthen my faith? Does God let bad things like abuse so that your faith can grow? I mean, could you imagine What's going on in these kids' heads that these are the questions that they're writing? So we would try to talk to them about these questions. And they got to have great worship. And it was just an awesome thing. It was such a place of passion that I just want to take a second and I want to thank you. I want to thank you, church, for helping to make that happen. So many of you guys pour into uh, the camper fund so that camp kids can go that can't afford it. That's a huge thing. And also you make it available for me in my time. I want to lift up the music team that got everything together this week. And how awesome was that in the beginning? Goodness gracious, these teams is amazing. I just want to give thanks to all of you. So instead of giving thanks to you, I want to give thanks to the Holy Spirit's work in all of you. So we're going to just give a shout and praise to the Holy Spirit. Thank you.
And one of the most important things that happens at camp is the Wednesday conversation. It's a very important Wednesday conversation. We meet in the morning just after we've gotten through some of the, the crazy stuff that goes on. And we ask a very, very important question. And the question is, Logan, what was the question we asked on Wednesday morning? Do you remember? Braden, do you remember? Have you what yet? Oh, yeah, he was about ready to say it. He doesn't want to say it. Have you pooped yet? It's a very important Wednesday conversation because we have some kids that get all the way through Wednesday and they have not gone poop yet. And this is a really big deal because you know what it means to be backed up. Imagine being backed up on camp food. Now, the visitors that are here today, the, our first-time guests, let me just tell you, I do talk about poop, okay? So that's, it is what it is. That's what you get here. So Friday, we had one, one kid, inevitably, this always happens, that came up to him and was just like, So we gotta, gotta do like, you know, find a private bathroom for him, you know, maybe that's it, maybe it's like nerves, maybe it's prunes, maybe whatever it is. We gotta get him something. And Friday, thank the Lord, we had liftoff. <laughs> I'm an expert at going to camp these days, I feel like. I know how to pack, I know the kind of things that I need. Uh, this is actually my 34th year going to camp, which was super fun to get a chance to be at camp that many years. Next year will be 35, which is even crazier because the camp itself turns 70 next year, and I'll have been at 35 summers of their 70 summers, which is half, which is weird because I'm only 37. <laughs> but I'm always prepared. I'm always making sure that I pack well. I pack three shirts per day. I kid you not. And I pack at least two undies and two socks for every day because you never know, right? I mean, like, what if you were to get into the woods, get into a little mud? You got to have some extra socks. You got to have some extra underwear. You got to have all the things that you need, right? That's an important thing. I know how to pack. I don't just bring one flashlight. Guess how many I bring? Three. That's right. Not just one, but three. I'm that guy that tries to be prepared all the time for whatever needs to happen, all right? Now, how many of you are my people, and you go to, like, a Chick-fil-A, and they have just napkins available to you, and you're like, well, I could take a little stack for the car. Where are my people? Say, I got you. Yes. I got to have enough napkins. I'm the guy that always leaves the, nap the restaurant with napkins tucked in the back pocket, and I'll put my shirt over the top of it just so nobody knows what's going on. They're like, sir, what do you have in your, nothing, man, nothing, just napkins. Leave me alone. I got everything in the car. You want a fingernail clipper? I got this. You need eye drops for your eyes? Because my wife has contacts, I got this, no problem. Need a bungee cable for something? I got this. Umbrella? Guess what? Say it. I got this. Diapers, extra wipes? I got this. You even need a $1 wooden, one and a half foot long back scratcher. Guess what? I got this. I got this. I was working on a project at the, uh, we call it the old dairy farm, right? It's the new land, the new Christ land, it's the old dairy farm. I was doing some work at the old dairy farm, and I just, it was a small project just to kind of get some things ready, and I was putting some stuff together. I had to get, I think it was a fan in or something like that, and I'm kind of doing my projects, and, and, uh, and, and while I'm working on it, which by the way was something I studied in seminary, by the way, was fan installation. Mm -hmm. Also plunging toilets at an old house. Anyway, let's move on. So I'm doing my project. I come to the very end of it, well, I was looking at this one little piece, and I'm like, it requires a Phillips head screwdriver. Um, and I think to myself, and I say in my head, and y'all say it with me, I got this. I got a toolbox in my car. No problem. I'm just going to go out there and get my, my Phillips head screwdriver because I got two or three selections in there because you know I don't pack one, I pack at least 
of every kind. So I walk out to my toolbox and I pull open my trunk. And when I get in my trunk, I got to go up in here and I got to hold it because there's always something on top of it. You my other people that have a lot of things in your trunk. Mm -hmm. So you got to put that up on your shoulder and reach down up on it. And I find my toolbox. I bring it out. I'm like, everything is great. I open my toolbox and guess what's in it? Nothing. My kids. They borrowed all my tools and then kept them. What kind of mess is this? Anybody else have kids take your stuff? I don't know what the heck, man. I go and I'm like, I got this. I'm almost done. I got this. I go to my car. I got this. I got my screwdriver. I got this. And my toolbox was empty. Nothing in it. My kids barred. I don't know where they put it. And it was so frustrating because I'm thinking I work so hard to be so prepared and in that very moment where I need that one thing it seems like it always happens I can never find that one thing I'm usually handling in my life everything that comes my way I got it all together no problem I put all my preparation I got all my infrastructure behind me everything's good to go and then all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere smacks me upside the head and guess what I don't got this you tracking with me church Sometimes it's not about the toolbox in the back of the car, it's about the toolbox in our hearts and minds, amen? We feel so prepared. I'm good to go. No problems, no issues. I got all my stuff taken care of, except when I'm not good to go, except when I don't got this. I want to walk through some scripture. I want you to hang on to that for a minute. We're looking at John chapter 6, 1 through 14. I'm going to be preaching from the uh, NIV, but if you've got a different version, you'll be able to walk along with us, and we'll have it up on the screen for you. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Everybody say, Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now, we got to know a little bit about what precedes this, okay? Chapter 5 was kind of a difficult chapter for the people of God as they were walking by Jesus because he healed a man at a pool, all right? He basically says to the man, hey, why aren't you going into the pool to wash yourself clean? The guy's like, well, I can't because every time I try to go, it takes me a long time. Somebody else gets in front of me, and I can't ever go because he was crippled. And Jesus said, hey, get up, take your mat, and go. Now, that wasn't the crazy part. The most frustrating part was because he healed on a particular day that he wasn't necessarily supposed to be healing on, according to the Jewish authorities, which was the? He was healing on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? Can you believe that he would do such a crazy thing? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to keep it holy. And as a matter of fact, he's not keeping it holy because he's doing things on the Sabbath. He's working. He's a rabbi. He's healing. He's not supposed to be doing any of that stuff. And the grumbling starts. And they start to get all kinds of frustrated at Jesus, so much so that they even, he even talked about his father. He said the father and he, he talked about the father and he as if they were one. So basically that's kind of putting himself on the same level as God. So not only is he preaching on the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath, but he's also calling himself God. Ooh, and the grumbling and the grumbling starts and the frustration starts to mount. The people are getting frustrated and it's getting in full effect. Verse three says, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That's an important note. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, now go with me on this for just a second, because when I read scripture, I don't know, my mind just does weird things. And we read this story, so we kind of already know 
what's going to happen, and it's already after the fact, right? The story is being reported to us. So we get a bunch of information that they don't have at the current time. But imagine what the disciples must have thought, right? He just healed a man, not only on the... But he called himself one with the Father, which means he's like on the level with God. And the people started grumbling and saying, how can you do this? And there's a giant crowd all of a sudden that saw what he did. Now he's gone up on the mountain. What are those disciples thinking that that crowd might be there to do? Bust them up. Amen. They're coming to bust us up. They're coming to, like, take hold of us. They're coming to arrest us. This thing is done. Before it got started, we messed up big time. Jesus, all you had to do was wait a day to talk to that guy, and then they wouldn't be so mad at us. All you had to do, Jesus, was not talk so much all the time, and we'd be fine. Everything would be good. But as that crowd approached, I have to imagine that the disciples were a little bit freaked out. And so this question kind of comes out of nowhere. Where should we buy bread for all these people? Because Jesus could have wondered that too. He could have actually saw that same crowd and said, Oof, maybe I should have uh, waited a day. Eek. Maybe I should have uh, just kept that whole me and the father thing on the down low. You know what I'm saying? Instead, this giant crowd of people is coming at us. Whatever he was thinking, we don't really know. But even so, his inclination... The way that Jesus looks at that giant crowd of people is not with disdain. And certainly his response is not coming from a place of fear. He has no idea why those people are ultimately approaching him, perhaps. But he says, let's feed them. What would the world be like if that's the way that we treated the unknown? Instead of thinking, well, you're different than me. And I don't know what that means, but that must mean that we, we've got to have a barrier between us. I've got to keep you out, keep you away. I don't know who you are. What if we approached the world in a different way? That the unknown was a place where we got the opportunity to feed. Somebody say amen. Can I preach this morning? Can I preach this morning? Come on now. He was confident in God being at work. Verse 7 says, Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. All right, can we have fun with numbers? Everybody say yeah. No, come on, guys. Yeah, this is fun. Numbers are neato, gang. Actually, I don't think anything ever good comes up when you open an Excel sheet. Anybody with me on that one? It never ends up well. All right. Fun with numbers. Let's get a real perspective on this. And I'm going to pull it forward but in, in, into like the numbers that we would relate to, okay? But I'm doing that, and it's okay because of inflation of the price of bread, okay? So just go with me on this. The numbers work. I did the math. Half of one year's wages, according to, wait, let's back up. The household income in the United States is 56516 Everybody go, whoa. That's the median household income in the United States, according to the 2015 U.S. Census. I know, four years ago, whatever, leave me alone. Half of that is 28258 Everybody got it? 28000 Everybody say 28000 A loaf of bread costs what? Roughly $3, right? I mean, if you don't want the 99-cent bread that as soon as you pull it out, the thing, it starts falling apart in your hands, or whenever you try to put some peanut butter on it, the peanut butter just goes straight on the counter... $3. I'm spending $3 on my loaf of bread. That gives us, if we buy bread with a half of year's wages, is 9,419 loaves of bread, which is 
24 slices per loaf. Did you know how many slices were in a loaf of bread? I had no idea. Apparently it's 24. Next time you go to lo open a loaf of bread and there's not 24, take it back. <laughs> Each slice is about one big bite. I got a friend of mine who could probably take a handful of three or four pieces of bread and it would be one bite. But for me, that would be like one big bite. But for most people, you'd have to cut one slice of bread in half and that would equal one bite, okay? So can we all agree on that? Half a slice of bread. So if everyone gets one bite, according to Peter, that's 9,419 loaves times 24 slices times two bites per slice. The total available bites of bread for a half year's wage. Anybody want to guess? Anybody been doing math this time? 452,112 bites. So if everyone was to have one bite, ultimately, that means that there were 452,000 possible people that were approaching Jesus at this time. That's crazy, isn't it? Somebody say that's crazy. That's crazy. Probably not that many people. But in a minute, you're going to hear the number 5,000. And I want you to get a perspective. Because, of course, they say 5,000 men. Everybody say, oh. They didn't count everyone. They didn't count women. They didn't count children. They didn't count all the others that were there, just the men. So what we're finding here is that there's a lot of people walking up. Definitely more than 5,000 and could be anywhere up to 452,000, giving Peter's assumption. Everybody got it? Everybody just say, that's a lot of people. Okay. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? <clears throat> There's really fun notes about this. Barley loaves, that was the cheap grain. That was the little teeny grain. It didn't, didn't get as big as, as wheat. It wasn't as, as plentiful. And the, the word that he uses to talk about the fish actually isn't like king salmon. It means like sardines. Are you following? So we're talking about five loaves that are probably smaller than a regular loaf, and you know 24 slices coming out of that, and then two sardines. Everybody with me say, how far will they go, far go? among so many? Y'all got to play along if you want the sermon to be short, okay? Can't blame these disciples. This is absurd. This is an absurd amount of people and an absurdly small amount of sustenance that Jesus has to work with. And we can't blame them to stand there and think, how in the world, Jesus, can we just chill out? Can they just figure out their own stuff? Why do we have to even consider this? But this is an important thing because Jesus is trying to help us understand something very deep. There's too many of them, Lord. We don't have enough. And we've all thought that same thing, haven't we? How many of us has stared at our budgets or, or looked at our wallets or, or looked at our families or looked at our relationships and said, there's not enough. There's not enough to go around. I don't even have the good stuff. All I got is the cheap stuff. I don't have king salmon. I got two small sardines. How in the world am I supposed to make this even work? Lord, it's too much to handle. I don't have enough. I need a miracle. If you've ever said that in your life, say amen. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Got to be at least 15,000 people there. Now, why this detail about sitting down? 
Why this detail? Remember, anytime you have these strange details in Scripture, you need to pay attention, right? We've talked about that. Whenever they give you a detail, dive in deep to try to figure out what that is all about. Perhaps it's because they were easy to organize that way. If they're all sitting down, right, that, that could be it. Or perhaps it's because if they were a threat, if they were coming there, they would be harder to attack. They'd be harder for them to attack you. That's why y'all are all sitting down, so I got enough room to get up and run in case I say something crazy. Yikes. <laughs> no, I think sometimes miracles take time. They take time. Jesus knew that it was going to be a minute, and so he had him sit, rest, wait, so that I can come serve you. Just be in my presence. Just sit, hold tight, be still. Know that I am God, that I am going to do a new thing. Know that I will bring abundance. Know that I will bring enough. That you standing up and trying to figure all this out is not what I want you to do. I want you to wait and know that I am the miracle maker. How many of us want a miracle right now? This whole series we've talked about timing. We want a miracle on our own terms. But brothers and sisters, that's not the deal. Miracles come as God wants them to. And in the midst of that waiting, we get formed and grown in that waiting. Amen? Verse 11 says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. What? As much as they wanted? Five loaves, two fish. Little loaves, little fish. How could this happen? They all have hidden food somewhere, but all of a sudden they just pulled out it doesn't make any sense was this just a, a great lesson in hospitality i mean did he just teach them all to share maybe the miracle was a was a bottomless bucket of of bread and fish or like when you go to the wings place and they give you a bottomless bucket of wings they just keep coming it's amazing or the bottomless pancakes that i have have you ever done that it's legit i've never done that but maybe it's that they carried the burdens of each other it doesn't really matter how it happened it matters that it happened. They thought they didn't have enough, but Jesus said, I got this. Could you imagine a church where we carried each other's burdens all the time, no matter what the deal was? Even in the midst of the unknown, we sought one another out to say, how can I help you carry your burden? Could you imagine a church where people looked at those people and said, I want in on that. I got to be a part of something like that. I want to know what it feels like to carry other people's burdens. I want to know what it feels like to have somebody carry my burdens, not just some great musical show or some halfway decent preaching, but a community that's real and alive and that's moving in the lives of the community around us so much so that they can't help but want to be a part of it. Amen? What would it look like? Verse 12 says, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, this is what it's going to look like. Gather the pieces that are left over. Nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, truly this is, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Wait a second. Somebody show me how you could take five loaves and have them all of a sudden fill 12 baskets left over. It doesn't make any sense. Is it crazy? Say it's crazy. Is it possible? Everybody say, nope. You can't. It's impossible. And this is after they all ate. How many baskets were there? Say it out loud. Anybody know why? What? Twelve disciples? That's a good one. Anybody else know what there were twelve of in uh, historical scripture? Twelve tribes of Israel. 
all of God's people. Each one of those baskets represented, this wasn't just a story in John. This is the story for us now, so that we understand that all people, all tribes, all races, all understandings of who you are, no matter how rich you are or poor you are, no matter how you talk or how bad your English is, how, where you live or don't live, what you've done in your life or not done, all tribes have a place in this abundance. Every single one deserves God's love and great abundance. That's how God works. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of God. What Jesus is showing us is that their enough is enough for everyone, all tribes, all people, no matter. But the thing is to see the miracle church, we got to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it, as a matter of fact. We get to see what God is doing. This miracle that we are living is that bottomless bucket of bread and fish, and that there's more than enough to go around. That's how God rolls. There's plenty for you. Somebody look to the person next to you and say, there's plenty for you too. Also, we get to carry the burdens of one another. We've been blessed with enough food, money, energy, drive, spirit, not just so that we can flaunt it or abuse it, but think about that. It's a gift to be shared. But maybe today you're not feeling like the basket made its way over to you. The struggles, Pastor, they're real. They're more consistent than ever. They bleed me drive my finances, my well-being, my emotions, my spiritual energy. They cut me down. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's something you did or worse, something you didn't do. Or maybe it's just hell on earth thrown at you one grain of sand at a time. This past week, I was in the most beautiful heaven on earth. It was amazing. I got to see God's work happening. I got to see lives transformed. I got to see kids have these just incredible Kairos time moments where God spoke to them in these deep and wonderful ways. And that right there is when I think Satan wants to hit you the hardest. When things are going great. Out of nowhere, like a T-bone through an intersection. I got a few emails that just ripped me down. And my head wasn't anymore on the mountain with the kids. I was consumed by it. I was torn up inside about it. I was angry. I was indignant. So I stopped in the middle of all that and sat down and prayed. And I said, Lord, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And God said, I got this. Your not enough brings my abundance. If you're struggling, friend, I want you to look around at the people next to you. Not just in this place, but in your life. The people that God surrounds you with. God says, I got this. That means we got this. I reached out to a couple of uh, spiritual friends of mine, advisors. They poured over me with prayer and scripture, encouragement and love. And even more, they took some of that burden off my shoulders. It was healing, and it changed the rest of my story. It changed the rest of my week. It changed everything. The church was there for me. When I wasn't enough, 
God met me with abundance, encouragement, and love. It meant everything to me. So whatever it is for you, it's real, I know, and it's potent. It's that moment when we start taking inventory of ourselves, right? We start thinking, okay, what have I got in my toolbox to use here? I'm just going to go to my toolbox. I know I've got the right things I need. I'll find it in there, only to open it up and see that the whole thing's empty. And you got nothing. No matter how strong you think you are, you got nothing. not enough. When we think we're all out, when we think we've completely run out, that's when God takes our not enough and says, I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this situation. I got this journey. I got this pain. I got your hurt. I got that bill that you don't know how to pay. I got that frustration. I got that loss. I got that grief. I got that relationship. I got you. I got this. And brings forth not only enough, but abundance. That's who our God is, brothers and sisters. And that's what our God wants to remember. I got this. So therefore, say it with me. We got this. Pray with me if you would. God, no matter how prepared we think we are, no matter what kinds of things that we keep in our toolbox, even in the greatest moments of our lives when we should be on top of the world, Satan comes to break us apart. And then you meet us right there when we're out of energy, when we're out of money, when we're out of spirit, when we're out of hope, when we're out of the will. Keep going. You meet us there. And not in some flash of light and bolt of thunder, but Lord, it's in the flesh and bones that surround us. It's in the friends and the family. It's in the church. You consistently come to us through each other. And you say, I got this. You're going to be all right, Matt. You're going to be all right. So Lord, we're going to come just as we are broken, worn out, hurt, tossed around. And let you feed us. Because there's not one of us that you look upon with anger, frustration, or worry. You see all of us and say, what have I got? All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, 
We ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.